Hey team, welcome to episode 82 of Transition Talk, where we talk about dental transitions and how to navigate the sometimes messy path to practice ownership. We have a special episode for you today. Charles and I teamed up with a co-host of the Accumulating Wealth podcast to record live at the Kane Waters and Associates 31st annual meeting. This episode is all about answering the question, what is my practice worth? And we dive into different factors that can affect a practice value. All the good stuff was originally published on the Accumulating Wealth podcast. And so here's that episode. Enjoy. Welcome to the Accumulating Wealth Podcast. I'm Judson Crawford. And I'm Hunter Satterfield. We are CPAs, wealth advisors, and partners at Kane Waters and Associates, a financial services firm here to help business owners navigate the decisions they face every day. So I'm excited. Today we have a special treat for everyone. You betcha. Last episode, we told you all about our annual client meeting. The meeting was last week, and really it was a fantastic time for our clients, their guests, and us as well. While we were there, we got a chance to record a live podcast episode discussing a question that is always on the minds of practice owners. What is my practice worth? Yeah, and to help us out in the discussion, we invited two of our favorite people, Christy Ratcliffe and Charles Loretto from NDP, to join us. So now, coming at you live from the star in Frisco, Texas, here's episode number 122. All right, we're going to go ahead and get started, everybody. Uh, welcome to the Accumulating Wealth Podcast. You know me by now, and you just met Hunter, so I'll introduce our other guest. Down on the end, uh, another man you already know, Charles Loretto. Silver Fox. Silver Fox. Sure. It's an old fox, but it's silver. Um, <laughs> then we got wouldn't. Christy Ratcliffe Hello. right next to him. Today, as I've, as I've said a couple different times, we're going to talk about the value of your practice. So while we're recording, uh, try to keep the noise down just a little bit uh, so we can keep the sound down. And we won't have time for questions at the end, but obviously the four of us will be around for the rest of the weekend and and are happy to talk to anybody that has any questions. Uh, It'll be interesting to see how this works out. You've got uh, four very dominant personalities on stage uh, that'll be fighting for uh, words. So let's do it. Yeah, and we do have, of note, we have uh, not only Judson, I have a podcast Charles and Christy also have a podcast, Transition Talk, which is excellent. I know some of you have listened to it, focused specifically on business transitions, both private equity and also a traditional uh, sale as well. So that they are professionals, everybody, professionals here professionals. with us. Professionals. Well, I think the best place to start, uh, you know, the, the topic of this episode is what's my practice worth, right? It's a very hot topic. It's a question that we always get uh, as advisors by our clients, and so... Uh, we want to bring the experts on to sort of go through this. And I think, Chrissy, let's start with you because the concept of what's my practice worth, I think a lot of times doctors are like, oh, it's 80% of collections or whatever else. I mean, there's more to it than that, obviously, because each practice is unique and different. Can you go through maybe a little bit of what goes into a yeah. practice valuation? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you know, at the end of the day, it comes down to two things. If you've heard me speak at any practice transition seminar, or you've, st- or you've talked to me at any point in time, um, risk and profitability are what drive your practice value or setting a market price. So when I say that, meaning profitability is number one, that's what these guys are great at, but what, what, what is that bottom line and what is that it after I've added back all the stuff that you're running through from a tax planning standpoint, like the true profit and true cash flow for your business, okay? That's what we're going to try to hone in on from a valuation perspective. Clearly, the more profitable, the more valuable. 
for a risk perspective, it's a little bit more unique, and it really based, is based on your, you know, your practice, right? Where are you? What's your specialty? How do you get your patients? How new is your equipment? All of those things are going to kind of tie in together to actually kind of drive a value. But I think, I, you know, I've heard Charles say this. We've said it on Transition Talk. What your practice is worth is ultimately kind of what someone's willing to pay for it, right? Um, and I think that that's something that is sometimes a hard concept because our practices have a lot of intrinsic value and there's more to it. it. It's not just a number on a page, it's not just a transaction. But, you know, I think there are ways we can definitely, you know, increase that and educate about what is my practice worth, because it is more than just that 70, 75% that we hear thrown around as a rule of thumb. Piggyback a little bit uh, on that, Christy. Uh, first, as I go around the country and, and, and speak, I, people come up to me and say, hey, I love your podcast. It's like, oh, great, transition talk? No, the, the one with Hunter and Judson. Aww. You sure they don't say Hudson? Uh, <laughs> Hudson. These guys are awesome. Thanks for, thanks for uh, doing this yes. and, and inviting us to this. So uh, Christy and I, of course, work uh, together uh, in this business of value and helping young buyers and established doctors with, with their transition process and goals. And Christy's team is, is amazing, but they're really focused on those numbers. And I'm kind of big picture. I want to be able to see these little things that the buyer is interested in and certainly you as a seller. But if it's a location, the location could be rural America, the location could be you know, DFW, and that is so, so important to, to basically understand if there's a high demand for people that want to be in that area, that's absolutely you know, super important. It could be rural America, it could be a surgery practice, and that practice may actually not have any value at all. So you just can't take these percentages and just an EBITDA number and somehow just say, well, that's going to be the value and that's what, that's what we're going to count on. So um, it's just, there's more to it, you know, than just, just the number itself. Okay. So you, you both have talked about cash flow being the, the ultimate determinant of, of a value of a practice. And I think that everybody here uh, wants to get the most out of their practice when it's time for them to sell. So, you know, without being too simple, how would somebody in here increase the value of their practice? The first thing I always do when I'm, I'm either A, looking at with a buyer or a seller is, you know, this is a great group because you, you obviously have great financial planning team, you have great CPAs and accountants, but for the rest of the country that's not educated with their advisors, you know, I always start first with, you got to understand your financials. You have to have an amazing accounting. You got to understand fixed costs and direct costs. You got to have your team costs dialed in to that percentage by your specialty. If that's a GP practice, you know, our goals are 23 to 24%. Could be an orthodontic practice, $2 million, we're targeting a 17%. We wanna have really clear team goals of what our percentages are. I wanna have really good direct cost goals with lab and supply. And I think once you understand where your direct and fixed costs are, now we can actually dial in and have targeted goals to increase that profitability. So the easiest way, number one, is to understand your business, and number two, is let's figure out how to lower some of those direct costs. And now let's also see, by understanding fixed costs, the incremental growth of the additional dollar. So the example I always use is like, if you have a million dollar practice and a 60% overhead, in your mind, you're netting 40 cents on the dollar. But the incremental dollar that you now bring into the practice, when you understand your direct cost, and now that direct cost is about 20% when you think about your supply, your lab, and your other small little office supplies and credit card, marginal, just small incremental costs on that next dollar, you're profiting 80 cents on that dollar. So 
if you can share those goals with doctors and share those goals in this case with, with you know, them, it motivates them to have that additional growth, to see that profitability, and it just creates so much more profit. Yeah, and I think if you're going to, if you're thinking, hey, I'm gonna transition, or I'm gonna sell, I'm gonna bring on a partner in the next two to three years, this is the prime time to start paying attention to those things, because when we look at evaluation or we're putting a price on a practice, we're not just looking at the last six months or your last great you know, 12 months. We're looking at the last two, three, four years. And so the longer and the, the cleaner your financials are and the more you can kind of start cutting that profit and uh, building that profit and cutting those expenses, the better that value is gonna be. So don't, don't just wait until the last minute, right? Look, look ahead and start doing that at least two to three years before so, to make, get the most value. Now, one of the words that you actually already said that, that I wanted you to talk a little bit about is, is a word that Hunter and I didn't use from intro to accounting until about five years ago. <laughs> Can you explain to the audience or, or demystify what EBITDA is? One more thought and I'll get to that. Okay. <laughs> is kind of going back to the growth thing. And this, this room has been amazing, you've seen it. But the value of when you can't physically do any more dentistry and you're tapped out, your hygiene is tapped out or whatever specialty that you are, you can't physically do anything. Obviously, the incremental growth, there's some point where you can't physically do more dentistry. And so we want to be able to now leverage that practice and leverage that physical space, again, fixed cost, and grow with another doctor. And just to be able to, the benefits to see that growth, that's growing that profitability. And yes, that's a great lead in to what this, this EBITDA is. So tell us what EBITDA is and then I will add to it. The actual definition? Yes, please, Perfect. please, Christy. Earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. My accountant background has done me wonders. There you go. It's a fancy way to say, <laughs> what's the profit of your freaking business? That's yeah, all it is. It's, it's fancy words, it's fancy words, Justin. But hey, we worked hard to study that stuff, right? <laughs> words. Come on with that. The profitability of your business, your EBITDA, um, said in many different ways from people who do not, uh, do not have an accounting background, is just that. It is simply your profit. So at the end of the day, you know, I've talked to all, you know, many of your clients, I've talked to planners, and, and they're like, oh, my, all my clients are coming in, they want to know what their EBITDA is. And they don't realize we've been talking about their EBITDA for every time they're in this room, we just call it something different. What are the cash flows of your business? What's the profit that's going to drive your value? So I think one of the things that we get a lot from clients as well is sort of the impact on bringing associates in, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I know a lot of y'all in this room have done it. A lot of our listeners that are listening in as well have either contemplated bringing an associate in, have brought an associate, mm -hmm. maybe multiple in, and obviously that triggers growth in their business. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about how that would ultimately impact a practice value and how long it takes it yep. to catch up to it? Yeah, so ultimately when we do a, a practice valuation, we are going to account for, you know, let's say you had to hire an attorney or you had to finish out a, a, an op to bring on that associate. Those costs are not gonna hurt you because um, we're gonna say, hey, those are one-time costs and they're not gonna happen again. But the expense of the associate and the, uh, you know, the new staff you might have to bring on to support that associate, that, those costs are real costs to the business and it, you have to give it enough time because that will, from day one, your practice is gonna drop in value, you're gonna have a drop in um, probably cash flow a, a, as an owner, so you have to give it time for that associate to see the growth, to see the buildup over time so we can actually capture that value back. Um, a lot of times we'll do a formal valuation for someone and it won't be what they thought it should be because they brought in, they made a bunch of investments in their practice 
And my, my answer is, yeah, I agree, it's probably too low. We just need more time to actually see that value and see the investment that you've made and the people, um, the associate, the office kind of actually build out. So it is, it is a hit to the value initially, but long term, you should see substantial increase in value with the substantial increase in growth and then making that practice more efficient. Well, I love it how when the associate joins the practice, how they just automatically assume that it goes from a million to million three, that that now owner is pocketing $300,000 because they have personally grown the practice. And as we know in the, uh, the financial world, that is just not the case. I mean, there is a cost for them, number one, there's payroll tax, there's benefits, there's a cost for the assistant that we had to hire, there's a cost for those direct um, costs that we have and again, our supplies and lab. And so you have to be able to show that doctor what that break even is just to literally break even. And at some point, yeah, there's a profit that we're gonna make on that associate and that, it's fair. There's gotta be a point to the, there's be a point where there's a lot of profit because if there's not a lot of profit, then what is there to sell? I was still the senior doctors. I don't anticipate you taking a pay cut. I, I, you take a pay cut when they start, there's a break even. Now there's gonna be a profit margin you're gonna be making on them. And then the value is to essentially pull the equity out of that business and then go back to probably about what you were making before. And that's, that's, that's the idea. So that's, that's one from a valuation standpoint. Yeah, at some point it's gonna cross over, but maybe those first few hundred thousand, you're not gonna get this increased value that you're just hoping. It's not the 80% yeah. of the, no. because that cash flow is just the same. So the DSO private equity market has clearly been something that, that we've been talking about for, for years now. Um, obviously, it's a consistent theme. It's been brought up multiple times throughout the last couple of days. But the economy, interest rates, everything else has changed. So can, can one of you give us an update on kind of where the, the DSO private equity market is and how is it different than it was a year ago? Yeah, I mean, I think that um, it's still there. It's not going anywhere. It's not going away. We haven't missed anything. It has changed a bit and from a perspective of, it's not at the peak it was, but it's not going anywhere. I think it's kind of stabled out. I think the offers um, that are kind of coming forth are still there. I think buyers are getting a little pickier about the practices they're looking at, right? Like they want to buy, if they buy a practice, it's an investment. And so I think that the everything you've heard here and kind of how the economy is going, there are definitely changes um, and we don't have a crystal ball, but I think that in general, the market has been stable. Buyers are still very interested. There's still a ton of money out there. There's still a ton of interest in good practices. Um, it, with, a year ago, they weren't interested in all of the specialties. Now we've got all specialties kind of accounted for by the various buyer groups. Um, but that's, you know, I think it's a, it's still a solid market and you're not gonna stop hearing about it. Um, you're not gonna stop hearing about EBITDA. Um, and it's not a transition plan for everyone, right? It, there's a private transition, there's the DSO market. Um, and I think the important thing is understanding like, what, is, what, what does that mean for you? Um, and how is it the right method for you? Because DSOs are not a fit for every practice. They are, aren't a fit for certain parts of the country. They're not a fit for certain sizes of practice. If you're looking to retire in two years, it's not a fit for you, right? They need a longer term partner. And so I think it's just important to consider all the factors there. Yeah, and I think one thing that's interesting about that, the whole concept of it's not a fit for, I mean, when we have clients that are like, oh, it's the growth of corporate dentistry is gonna to continue to take over and it's gonna monopolize everything. At the end of the day, I mean, I can list right now 60 of my clients that are not going to do that. 
There are a variety of reasons, whether it's their area they're in or their exit strategy or they're bringing their son or daughter into the practice. And so there will remain that component of dentistry that remains yeah. sort of on that private side mm -hmm. um, and doesn't go the DSO route. Now, one thing I think is interesting is, I mean, you reference a little bit of this, but what is, what is the impact of the values that are occurring in the DSO marketplace and private mm -hmm. equity marketplace? What is the, the higher value of those? How is it impacting if they just yeah. transition to a single doctor? So I would say they're two completely separate markets. Um, when we see the impact of one on the other is in, uh, based on where you are ge geographically, right? If, if where you are, there are a lot of corporate, a lot of, a lot of consolidation, then your practice value is going to be impacted and it probably is going to go potentially down because a new buyer coming in is gonna say, hey, like, there's a lot of risk here. There's you know, a lot of consolidation and like, how, how am I gonna support this practice and I can't compete? Across the country though, if I kind of look at a swath, it really hasn't impacted the market of a private valuation on the whole because at the end of the day, a private buyer is not a DSO. They cannot pay those prices. Um, and you have to make a choice as a seller of, hey, I'm either gonna go this route or this route. I can't sell to a private person and say, well, I could sell to a DSO and get 20 times my EBITDA, so you have to pay me more. That's just not how it works. I know we would like it to work like that, but unfortunately, it's just not how it works. Yeah, especially because if you think about, I mean, you can go talk to any of these banks out here. If they're underwriting a person, person. to just, a person, a, yeah. a single person. person, if they're gonna underwrite that person, they're not gonna give them near as much without significant restrictions on you as a, as a seller, whether it's guarantees or seller holdbacks or things like that. And so I just think the market itself yes. doesn't dictate those higher values. But Charles, you know, we are starting to see some practices that are saying, hey, I want some sort of blend. Can you sort of riff on that for a second? Yeah, and in, this, in the conversations that uh, I have uh, either on the phone or, you know, conferences, it is the number one question. You know, it, you know, when you go out and speak, you have to know what the questions are gonna be. Every single lecture, you have to talk about this. You've got to explain this whole EBITDA thing and the seven or eight multiple. And in the end, I, I say it over and over again. This is a financial planning decision, period, in a story. It's going to work for you or it's not going to work for you. You're going to give up something for something today. You know, it's just this, we got to look at this. The case uh, just yesterday, $2 million, $2.6 million practice, $2 million practice, are going to give them 2.6. Okay, 2.6. After tax, you're going to be at two. There's two partners. It's a brother, two brothers. So now the net number is going to be two million divided by two. That's one after tax. So I mean, what are they going to get? Seventy percent of that? They're going to get around eight eight hundred thousand dollars for their life's work. And then you know, take this pay cut for that practice. It does not make sense. You'll find orthodontic practices on the other hand that may have a three, four million dollar top line with a 40% overhead, and now all of a sudden they're getting an offer for 10, 12, 15 million dollars, and perhaps for that individual, that meets their financial plan, so absolutely. And to your question, then what you're having is because in this space of orthodontics, it's very much a, um, a seller's, seller's market. There's so many more buyers that are out there uh, based on the orthodontic programs that are in the country today. And so then the sellers are saying, well, wait a minute, I've got this $3 million practice. And if I was gonna sell it to Christy, you know, with this regular just private value, that value may be 3 million, but private equity over here is giving me 10 million. Why don't we just work out a deal together? And I tell you what, Christy, instead of 3 million, I'll sell it to you for 5 million. 
and starting to see that. And the, the problem is the bank or valuation company doesn't like that. So yeah, I guess if you want to do that and it's gonna have to be more than likely seller financing that you're gonna now have to somehow arrange, the two of us would have to arrange that together. And again, she has to decide if that's something that she wants to do. She has to know that she wants to overpay. So sellers are taking this position now and it's starting to become more and you're seeing this I haven't really seen much of it in the other spaces, but I do start to see, I am starting to see that now in the orthodox. Yeah, I think it's just because those values are so much larger in that space. And so it's hard for, uh, you know, an owner to say, hey, I'm willing to kind of give that, that piece of it up. So I still am not a fan of it. I don't love it. Um, I still think it's not, uh, it's very few and far between that I think that that would work and make sense for that buyer. So we're, you know, I'm going to, say a sentence that I, I've heard plenty of times and I know you guys have heard uh, and, and I want you to, you know, you can just tell me true or false, but I want you to explain it. You hear a sentence like, well, hey, I have a GP buddy. He's got a big old practice and he just got 20 times for his practice, right? Yeah, I saw it on Facebook. He yeah, posted totally, it on Facebook. Totally. I would say false and I would say 20 times what? You can 20 times a lot of things. Um, no, those, that, that multiple. But what's reality? Reality is somewhere in the four to seven, four to eight, you know, depending on the practice. We've seen, you know, we've seen prices as low as hundred, like just hundred percent of collections, right? And we've seen, you know, so it, it is purely, those numbers are one exaggerated. They can make up whatever they want, right? They can put, and again, do you understand what 20 times what, right? Like what is, what am I timesing by? Because we've seen buyer proposals, we've seen letter of intents where they calculate, they put your compensation of what they're going to pay you for the production you're going to do post close. They add that to the profitability. Um, so yeah, th those numbers are not happening. They didn't happen, um, and they're not happening. We're, we're seven is a kind of good average that I think most people, you know, if, if you hear that number, that's probably realistic. But anything above that, I would ask some questions. And I, I love how it starts with like a seven, but then as well, I, I'm going to get. 10 or 12 or 15 on the next round. The other question I always ask is, if you do get 12 or 15, you're gonna have to commit to work back longer in that next relationship. The next thing you have to ask yourself is if you did get a 12 or 15, somebody else over here is gonna have to pay more than 12 or 15. So now you're trying to say, is there a future purchase out there that I'm gonna get 15, 17 times earnings? That doesn't exist. Well, and I also think that you have to, you have to be educated on what all of those pieces mean because all of us see the big value and the 20 times and that's what is my total value and it's 15 million. Um, but that you don't get 15 million. It's not a private practice sale where someone gives you a check for 15 million and you get to walk away. They're buying you, they're making an investment in you and your practice and they're going to have strings attached. So what are those strings? How much equity am I getting? What is the return on that equity? What, do I like the company, right? Because now I'm making, I'm making an investment in a company. Um, and you could have financially, you know, it could be very rewarding down the, down the road, right? We've seen some of that. Um, and it could be a great thing. Um, but do you know what you're getting, right? And I think that's where a lot of people fall short is that they just focus on the front number. They just focus on that big multiple or what, how many times EBITDA and they don't understand all the various components that can really impact you and have a financial, uh, it could be a great opportunity or you could not get what you were promised, right? It, so that's important. Last thing is, is, is the fear. It's, I just feel, I, I feel this is just like a one-time thing. 
I got to take advantage of it. That is the communication that's going out to every single dentist in this country. Is this is this the time is up? This is, you got to take advantage. It's never been better than right now. It's this country has been flooded with that misinformation and just to try to get people to close on the deal so that broker can get that commission. So very frustrating for us, and we're always defending this in, in all the consults. But this is, again, it's a financial planning. It does make sense for some people, but I would say there's a lot that it just doesn't make sense at all. So as we wrap up, I've got one final question. I'm actually going to flip it over to you, Judson, and ask you this question. So one of the things in light of the seven multiple and these blended ortho offers that we're starting to see in these types of things is, you know, the questions that we're getting a lot of times as advisors, and I think many of these people may in the room may have this question as well, is, all right, well, I've got this associate in. Do I sell this practice to them at a significantly lower value, or do I go and I sell on the corporate side and deal with the implications, that friction that's there? How are you talking to clients about the reality of that friction and what they do about it? There's a million things that, that goes into that question, and I think, I think a lot of it, you really just have to look at where you're at in your career and what you want the remainder to look like, mm -hmm. right? If you love where you live, you're, you're not moving, and you, you love doing, we're talking about ortho in this case, you love doing ortho in this case, and you know right now you're working four days in your dream, and you say, man, if I, could, if I could just work two days, I'd do it for the next 12 years, then you will not find likely a DSO offer that makes you a, 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 as much money as that trajectory of, of retaining ownership continuing to work, being happy where you're at, et cetera, et cetera. But there's many people that have a lot of other factors into that, you know, an associate that, um, you know, you just don't feel like is really the person that, that's going to help you be a long-term owner in this practice. They're, they're more of just an associate, you know, or a desire to, to be done in five to seven years and have the ability to, to move your family elsewhere. I mean, there's a, there's a million yeah. different situations. One of the things that, that I've told lots of my clients, um, you know, at, at different times is, is that ultimately, and this sounds strange when we're talking about, you know, these multiples and these big offers and all that kind of stuff. I would say that to a T, every time I've had a client that has transacted with private equity, there is a reason outside of just money that that makes sense for them. 100%. Right? Non-financial reasons a are non-financial reason. Mm -hmm. Because honestly, when it comes down, if you're just looking at money to money and you've got five, seven, ten years, you can justify it either way. Right? As I told one of my clients one time that was having a really hard time with the decision, who did actually end up selling to private equity, I said, Look, I said, your financial plan is gonna be good either way. You have to decide what you want your next five and seven years to look like. And, and for this individual, he had had failed associateships in the past, and he had had some, some exhaustion around that uh, and, and decided to go the private equity route. I've said it twice. I'll say it 500 more times. I think that the best thing you can do is be educated about all the various components and what you internally want and then figure out how to get there, right? NDP, Seven Pillars, Cane Waters, like we're all about education and making sure that you understand what you are going to get into and what that looks like and what the impact is to you. Money, yes, always matters, but all of the other pieces of your puzzle, um, why do you want to do this? Like that is where we'll end up every time. It's the first question we'll ask um, and probably the last one and something we'll have to remind you of throughout the process. Like, do you remember why you said you wanted to do this? This is what we're trying to accomplish. So. Well, you know, it's funny. 
last night at, at, our, at our vendor dinner, uh, Steve Kane came up to Hunter and I, and uh, where is this going? Where yeah. is this story going? No, anyways, he, he came up to us, and we were laughing, and, and he was saying, you guys used to make fun of me because, you know, I used to walk around the office with a cart with these clear bags and toothbrushes, and, and that's very true. We did make fun of him, um, but, you know, the reality is, is that, you know, what that was at that time, BNP, if you remember, what is now, uh, you know, Elite Dental, we talk about our vendors out there and all that kind of stuff. I mean, the whole reason that we did that from the beginning was the whole reason we had this conversation at the beginning about how you increase the value of your dental practice. Because if you can, for instance, use, you know, 3M Clarity and cut your aligner cost by a third then you've just increased the value of your practice. Yep. Period, end of story, right? Yep. If you go out and use Benco and can save a percent on your dental supplies, you have just increased the value of your practice, right? So it's, it's all of these things are tied together for, Always. frankly, this very reason. It makes you more money, it makes your practice more valuable, and then when we help you sell it, you're happier with us. And it gives you that flexibility. If you, The more money you can make over the course of your career by doing these things increases the value, but also gives you flexibility in the end for those non-financial reasons you might want to transition. Absolutely. So. Well, it's been awesome. Thank you both for joining Thanks. us. Well, that was awesome. I feel like we're ready to, to do our national tour after this. I mean, what do you think? City to city, recording live in front of hundreds of thousands of fans. Hundreds of fans? Or thousands? Of thousands. You hundreds said hundreds of, of thousands. thousands. I feel like this is my cue to wrap us up here anyway. Well, if you like uh, what you're hearing, the best way to keep up with our podcast is, is just to simply subscribe. This way you'll never miss future episodes and you can go back and listen to all of our other seasons. Also, if you like it, leave us a review or share it with a friend. We appreciate both. And if you want to learn more about what we're doing when we're not uh, in here recording, visit KameWaters.com to see how we're helping our 2,800 clients reach their long-term financial goals. Drop us a line at camewaters.com forward slash wealth. We actually answer these emails and love to hear from you. See you next time. Kane Waters and Associates is an investment advisor registered with the Securities and Exchange Commission. Information provided does not take into account individual financial circumstances and should not be considered investment advice. Investing involves risk and the possibility of loss, including a permanent loss of principal, specific product, security, or performance reference are for illustrative or comparison purposes only, and information provided is not an offer or solicitation to purchase or sell. No client or prospective client should assume that any information presented or made available is a receipt of or a substitute for personalized financial planning consulting advice. The Accumulating Wealth Podcast is intended to be broad and educational in nature and is not intended to be comprehensive or replace individual tax or financial planning advice. Request Form ADV Part 2A for a complete description of Kane Waters Financial Planning and Investment Advisory Services.